Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Alan, great to be back and happy your recovery continues, even though your voice is a little strained today again. Um, my voice is a little strange today, and they have told me that it probably is the the thing that's going to take the longest to come back since I was on a ventilator for two weeks. But um, but uh, if people will put up with my voice, I'll try to shut up mostly. But it's great to be back and be with you. Well, if you shut up mostly, we don't have a podcast. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, joining us for this edition is Nicholas Zart, who covers transportation and mobility for Clean Technica and other outlets. He is a green mobility content producer. Thanks for being with us, Nicholas. Well, thanks for having me over. I'm very excited to be here. And uh, I I can definitely understand everything you're saying. So everything is fine. Uh, Nicholas, great having you. This month's Consumer Electronics Show featured quite a bit of news from big players like Mobileye and Qualcomm, and the Transportation Secretary announced AV 4.0. Nicholas, you were there. What were some of the things that you found most intriguing at the show? What uh, what I found most intriguing was actually um, Amazon's uh, booth and Amazon's uh, display. The AWS team was very strong. Um, it was probably the booth that had the most consistent flow of um, of uh, people and professionals out there, and just how how the far reaches of Amazon is is incredible. Also, how they're not trying to produce anything, you know, physical at least to build anything, but to help um, different companies, whether they're OEMs or startups. So. I thought it was very interesting. A lot of companies are trying to figure out which direction AV technology is going. And so g- great things, great news from everyone. But you, if you know the show, it's huge and it's almost impossible to cover it all. You know, Alan, you've talked uh, for a long time about the, the role that Amazon could wind up playing in all of this, whether it's autonomous vehicle deliveries, et cetera. Well, I mean, they have everything to gain by by all this because uh, as we know uh, free shipping is really important uh, to them and uh, for them to uh, be able to survive free shipping uh, the cost of that shipping has to approach uh, zero and of course um, the big uh, component in that is or the is the labor component and um, if uh, if one can do it without the labor, then 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 my goodness, that ho- that helps them. And also, they have the opportunity to uh, maybe do it all in the wee hours of the morning when all of our physical infrastructure is not really being used uh, by all of us getting around. And in some sense, uh, it really makes a win-win for everybody. Uh, so um, yeah, Amazon, uh, both in terms of, of providing. Uh, uh, the support for for all the um, technology and computation and communication uh, through AWS, but also Amazon as a company in terms of uh, delivering um, the things that uh, we all buy. Yeah, and uh, also at CES, uh, Alan, you highlight Mobileye in the latest newsletter once again, an Intel company with some really big plans. 
yeah, they have big plans, and of course they they're in there with the with the self-driving car aspects of this, and um, and of course that is the big market today, as we all know. Uh, you know, people are out there buying cars that uh, you know basically uh, keep you in the lane and uh, keep you from not hitting the the car moving in front of you, and all that requires uh, compute power and processors and and systems and and mobile has been in the forefront of the, of putting that out there in conventional cars and uh, yeah they're they're a big player with respect to that piece of it now whether or not they're going to be a player in the driverless piece that's a whole other thing but certainly in the short term market of of the cars that we buy in the showrooms, uh, they're a player and a substantial player. So this has been so far a pretty good acquisition by Intel. Nicholas, when at CES, did you see much uh, in the way of new technology coming from China? I know you, we were talking, you were expecting them to be a, really the, maybe the, the leading player in, in autonomous vehicles. Absolutely. I think I think there's two things also happening at CES, and I wanted to piggyback on what Alan was saying about Intel. A lot of these technology companies are finally realizing, hey, you know what? We do a lot with our audio and visual uh, components. So Panasonic made a huge, so not Chinese, obviously, but um, Japanese, but Panasonic all of a sudden realized, you know what? We, we have a lot of, uh, we do a lot of cameras, we do a lot of lenses. So there's a strong push towards autonomous uh, uh, technology and also aviation technology, which was very interesting, the entertainment systems on board and everything. Sony had a, uh, a car, an electric car, an autonomous car, and that was very interesting, too. And when I talked to them, they said, look, basically, um, we have a lot of technology and we just want to apply it in that field. So what we saw were a lot of players that are coming out of left field and that are not at all involved in traditionally with the autonomy, with the um, automotive world, all of a sudden saying, hey, guess what? We have all of this technology and it applies to um, mobility. And, and like you said, uh, China, I think, and it seems to be the consensus with many uh, many car makers will be the place where um, autonom autonomous vehicles will start for very simple reasons. First of all, it's a blank slate, so there's no uh, a priori. There's no there, you know no one says oh it'll never work there, and and there's not a lot of reluctance against it. Plus, the the Chinese domestic market is used to be driven around. So these guys are coming in very strongly. And like you, you were saying, if the government says we have to do it, they will do it within a year instead of, I don't know, three to five to 10 years over here. So I would say keep your eyes out on, on China. I just I came back from China for, from at least four trips the last six months. And it's amazing to see how many startups and even OEMs are going completely in that direction. And, and just to end it very quickly... Um, I think most cars coming out right now are level three uh, capable. They said that they can do level four as soon as they see road uh, and infrastructure created for that. So they're ready. It, it's incredible. Alan, I know you've spent some time in China too. Uh, any thoughts about the, what Nicholas just had to say? Sure. I mean, uh, there's uh, there's a great opportunity for them, and they certainly uh, have um, have um, the wherewithals and the technology to do it. And um, and really, what one uh, one one has to do is just uh, sit back and watch. Uh, we we certainly know that the that the uh, 
the, the Alibabas and so on of this world are in there invested in this. And, um, and of course, this is an, an enormous opportunity for them. So, uh, yes, this is a, this is at least a U.S. Uh, China and of course uh, Yanex is out there as a Russian company and might it even get the Russians in there so oh my goodness we're going to have big three <laughs> It's true yeah actually the Russians are making a strong comeback too sadly um, absent from the race are European car makers are they I think they're still trying to weather the to see you know how they can weather the change so that was uh, that was they, these guys were missing absolutely now, Hyundai made some news at CES when it comes to urban air mobility. Tell us, tell us about that. So urban air mobility is something I'm, I'm, I'm very close to and I've, uh, I've enjoyed a lot for the past four years. I, I pretty much cover that these days, um, even because five years ago, I was wondering about the convergence of automotive and, um, and aviation. So are we going to have uh, 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 flying cars or are we going to have drivable airplanes? So... Hyundai came out uh, as the, I believe now, the seventh partner from for Uber, Uber Elevate, that wants to um, offer the same thing that they offer for cars, but with uh, EV tolls, so electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And Hyundai comes out and says, hey, here we are, and we have an ecosystem around that. Uh, plus, we have the uh, automotive manufacturing might. So they, they're used to building these cars, mass producing these cars. So they're saying that, hey, We've designed an EV toll. This is what it looks like. It was in conjunction with Uber Elevate. So I spoke to the, the lead senior um, engineer on both sides of Uber and Hyundai, and uh, they were very excited working together. The project, by the way, was, uh, was done in about 10 to 11 months. So we don't have all the specs yet. But I think what was impressive was to see the whole ecosystem around it. And very quickly, you, you, you have an EV toll. They, they call it the S-A1. And uh, it's a multi-rotor uh, uh, aircraft. And it will land on top of a hub. And then inside that hub, and if you think about like, a, like an octopus, right, with tentacles coming out, uh, people will just go inside there. You can do your groceries, watch a movie, medical facilities, whatever, you know, will be needed for this new brave world. And then you'll have autonomous pods, AVs, coming into the end of these little, um, these little tentacles and will drive people around in a city all fully automated, not the EV toll. The EV toll will be piloted at least for the first um, few years. And so they're looking at for a four-seater, <clears throat> which uh, could develop into a six-seater as soon as it becomes autonomous. So it was big news. There was, I mean, I really virtually had to fight to get a seat in the room, um, but it was a well thought out plan. At least the vision was well presented. And um, although we don't have all the uh, the specifications yet, it was it was pretty interesting to see Hyundai step up to the plate. And and again, it's fascinating to see that neither were the Western OEMs present in that specific field. So UAM versus um, AV technology. And uh, nor were the Japanese or even the Chinese yet, I should say, but Hyundai was. So the Koreans are moving very, very quickly. Hyundai has uh, invested a lot into aviation the last six months. So that was definitely uh, very interesting. We need to see who the last two players will be uh, uh, in Uber Elevate's vision. But that was, um, I, I say they definitely stole the show. Really interesting. And uh, of course, ride sharing playing a big role here too, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's taking off. I mean, 
And there are other companies that have, I, I, you know, I've been watching Jaunt Air Mobility for a long time. These guys have an amazing um, team of experts, uh, test pilot uh, guys. They have uh, Martin Perrier, who used to work with uh, Bell and was in charge of certification. So all of these companies have their strengths. Um, and so far, if you said the two companies that have the, the most holistic ecosystem, at least vision, were um, John Air Mobility and Hyundai. And the other ones have amazing technologies and, and fantastic IPs that drive their core business. So, Fred, if you recall last year when we were at CES, uh, we were basically fighting our way at the head of the line to go sit in the Bell helicopter <laughs> version of this uh, last year. So, you know, after after another year of, of work and all this, and with respect to um, to, to basically uh, drone technology and electric rotor technology. Uh, I mean, a lot of this um, seems doable. Whether or not it's scalable, that's another thing, but it at least seems doable to get the whole darn thing started. So this is really going to happen? It's it's going to happen. Uh, um, at least I see the investment side of things is happening. The you know the aviation industry compared to the automotive industry is might be a little slower at time, but when they start moving, they're like a big bulldozer. So so the investments are there. Uh, the brain power is definitely there, and we're seeing the same thing that we were seeing about a decade or so ago when many engineers and many you know visionaries left traditional car OEMs and went and started their own little startups. So we're seeing the same thing in the aviation industry, in the UAM industry. And um, these guys are, are pushing very quickly. In fact, um, they're saying that by 2023, we should see the very first uh, daily electric planes uh, start to handle UAM, urban air mobility, which and by the way, we're just revisiting an old 1960s term. Urban air mobility has always existed. But Electricity in this case is the enabler and specifically um, distributed electric propulsion makes it even more feasible. So it's it's fascinating to see how quickly it's moving. And we're talking about at least half a million dollar vehicles, aircraft in the air now and to multi-million dollar uh, vehicles in the air. So it's um, it's fascinating and it is moving and it is happening. Absolutely. Yeah, I wonder, Alan, if the Port Authority would figure out a way to get easy pass to work from the air to, to charge us, you know? Yeah, but, but I think, I think a, a good point is being made. We know that there is an, a market for vertical takeoff um, mobility. We've had helicopters here for now, uh, what, uh, 70 years or whatever the number is. Yes. The, 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 to me, the fundamentally intriguing part of... Uh, of the the drone and uh, the electric rotor technology is is that it takes the drive shaft out of yes. uh, out of the uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the vehicle i mean if you look at a, at a black hawk helicopter the darn drive shaft to the rear rotor is like oh my goodness i mean uh, <laughs> talk about points of yes. failure and weight and 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 uh, energy and efficiency and so on so now if you can if you can take electric motors distribute them that, that have no drive shaft it's almost the similar thing with respect to electric mobility and cars you don't need a transmission anymore <clears throat> so all of a sudden fundamentally these things are just like easy and simple 
and potentially cheap. Now, whether or not you can get the range and all the other things and and batteries are, are now, instead of it being the drive shaft and so on, that the, that's the Achilles heel of these things, the, the batteries, but I don't know. If, if somebody makes a breakthrough in batteries, one, they're going to become so darn rich, and two, it, that's, that's what makes all this explode. I, I, I think you're spot on, Alan, with that, and that's exactly the the Achilles heel are the batteries. But at the same time, I've been speaking to you know companies like Safran that makes turbines and also now is working with electric motors and also um, battery companies. The, the, the energy density is getting there. Uh, it's workable. So now we can have an EV toll with an autonomy of about um, a half hour, which is enough to take off from one building and land to another with... Uh, with, I'm, I'm sorry, more than a half hour, I should say 45 minutes to an hour because it needs to have that half hour reserve. So we're seeing that. And I think, again, we're, we're going to see very much like what we saw, we've seen in the EV industry. We're going to see hybrids first. That makes the most sense. So if you look at the original um, Bell Nexus with its six um, propellers, we, uh, we have a, a basically two turbines that uh, recharge a battery pack that feed the electric motors. And I think we're going to see that first. And, and of course, even before we see that, we're going to see fixed-wing airplanes, right? Because they already exist. Uh, by aerospace, Pipistrels ha already have a two-seater that can fly from anywhere from an hour to three hours uh, with two seats. Now they're coming out with a four-seater. But those EVTOLs are happening right now. It's going to first happen with, I believe, first with turbines. And they're going to be hybrid. And as technology progresses and the battery uh, technology development progresses, we're going to see more energy-dense batteries, and that will be the key to making these EV tolls completely feasible. Uh, so, you know, I was talking to uh, Jaunt again, and they're saying that by 2023 to 2025, they will have a fully electric demonstrator, and that will only use electricity, so no liquids, no inflammable liquids in that, uh, in that aircraft. And um, very lastly, I'm also talking to a few companies developing... Um, uh, different sorts of uh, lithium chemistries, and it's it's interesting to see where they're going with this. And just a, a very side uh, side uh, a little note here: I was talking to IBM in 2011. They were working on lithium air, and they said back in 2011, um, you can actually the batteries are already working. The biggest problem they had were the filters for the air. So that was the biggest problem they had. And of course, you know, scale of economy, obviously. Um, so now I'm talking to a company that is developing a lithium metal uh, battery. And that also has a lot of, uh, a lot of great potential as soon as, you know, we can go into mass production and, and demand uh, uh, raises. These, well, are, think, these aren't uh, autonomous, though, that we're talking about? The, well, I think why, why not? Before we deal with autonomous, I think, you know, you made, made a very good point with respect to the, the turbines uh, recharging the batteries. I mean, you look at, at our railroads, our railroads, at least since, since the, what, the 1950s, if not before that, what did they do? They decided that uh, really electric motors were the, were, were the way to... Uh, to, to move uh, trains, but uh, where are you going to get the electricity? You aren't going to put put uh, electric wires everywhere. So they created a, a turbine that generated the electricity that runs the electric motor that allows allows you know 200 car freight trains to, to to move. So you know that approach uh, to doing it and then taking out of that uh, you know transmissions and 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 uh, and, and and drive shafts and all of that stuff that 
one had to do with if you're going to directly connect the rotors uh, to, to the power source is now gone. So that is a very, very good approach. You know, I was always uh, wondering why the the, the GM, um, uh, um, uh, the, the Chevy, uh, whatever it was, uh, um, uh, uh, Volt, uh, never made it because fundamentally that's what it was. Uh, maybe it was just the way the Chevy and, and GM sold it, but you know, his sitting there using using a a, um, a power generation source that basically runs at the at its peak performance that just generates and and recharges uh, the batteries uh, and then let. That, that those things then run the electric motors, at least you know from a from a very fundamental point of view, is is the easy way to do all this. I, I you, you're absolutely right about the Volt. The Volt was probably the most sophisticated plug-in hybrid that happened at the time. Um, it should have done much much better than uh, than it did, and unfortunately, I think it was a, a question of culture, corporate culture at the time. GM was a very different company that it is now. And it's sad because I tested both, you know, the early models and the very last models. Those cars are fantastic. In fact, I, I had a BMW uh, friend of mine who, who sat in it and said, wow, I, I love this car. I could actually own this car, which I thought, you know, it's pretty high praise for somebody who only drives um, German cars. And um, yes, unfortunately, it wasn't very well presented. And there was a lot of tension at the time within GM. And on top of it, and I'm glad you mentioned GM, GM is the company that introduced the fear of range anxiety. And to this day, range anxiety is a global phenomenon. You can even go to China and you can hear about range anxiety, which is strange because when uh, I last visited NEO about two, three days, uh, two, three weeks ago in, um, in Beijing and in Shenzhen, and um, they have everything but range anxiety. They have range confidence. So when you buy a NEO electric vehicle, you can actually uh, recharge almost anywhere now. And now they've, they've teamed up with Xpeng, so they have an even bigger network out there. Or, and, or you can drop the battery at a station and have a fresh new battery put into the car. And it takes less than three minutes. It's seamless and it's painless. So I think um, GM uh, almost missed the opportunity. And I think they actually did miss the opportunity to present itself as, hey, we have the best plug-in hybrid in the in the market right now and we're moving slowly into making more evs and and it's i think it's something that they they learned but a little too late unfortunately but you know who knows maybe they will surprise us soon again great insight uh, now our friend ken Pyle, we should point out did an interview with bell at ces and uh, we just want to let people know that you can find that at vod.com v-i-o-d-i.com We'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor this week, the Smart ETF's Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. We should point out investing in ETFs can be a good way to spread risk. Moto ETF, MOTOETF.com is focused on transportation, innovation, and mobility. And so are we. Alan, even though you're still very much in recovery mode, you made it down to Washington, D.C. this week for the annual Princeton gathering and dinner during the Transportation Research Board's 2020 meeting. 
Yep, Fred, I did. Um, uh, actually, it was pretty easy. I hopped on the train. Uh, uh, it was autonomous uh, as far as I was concerned. I, I wasn't <laughs> driving. I hopped off the train, uh, took an Uber, I took a cab back to Union Station. It was actually trivial. Got to sleep. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, what a way to travel instead of, you know, the alternative is is drive down I-95. I mean, is there is there a worse horror show in the world? But anyway, yes, I, it was a nice gathering. Had a lot of people come. Um, um, I didn't end up going to TRB itself. Uh, because there's, uh, you know, there's just too much activity, and I didn't think I could take it. But at least the banquet was very, was very good, and uh, and I enjoyed it, and it wasn't too taxing, and I was uh, able to make it. Actually, you know, I had to because th- this was the the 48th banquet, and I had been to all other 47, so I <laughs> had to go to the 48th, right? I mean, Jesus, my goodness, I didn't what. How time flies. And you were there. Amazing. And I was there. Whatever. Bloomberg News has a story titled Waymo's Long-Term Commitment to Safety Drivers in Autonomous Cars. And it talks about Waymo's multi-year contract with a company called TransDev North America to provide safety drivers employed full-time, indicating that uh, Waymo will still have a need for safety drivers for years to come. You know, we've been talking about uh, a a few completely driverless vehicles showing up in, in Arizona, but they still are going to be employing these safety drivers. Well, I mean, wait a minute, Fred. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, uh, wait. Uh, Waymo isn't just going to operate in Phoenix. They right. didn't do this just to do Phoenix. So the, this is Phoenix is the, is the, uh, is the first of, uh, of many Phoenixes. And, and so if you throw out New York, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go to downtown L.A. You really don't want to go to downtown uh, San Francisco or or uh, downtown Chicago. Uh, you want to go to the Phoenixes of this world where, where they know that their system can operate. And, and so that's the rest of the, of the cities in the United States. And so as they go into any of these cities in the beginning, of course, they're going to have to make sure that, that uh, there aren't a few little curveballs and sliders that they have to fix up and and really improve their software. So of course they'll be out there with with uh, safety drivers. But each of the safety drivers are basically the beginning of of a of a rollout and deployment uh, across the nation. Uh, and after they they work in this particular area for a little while, and they get everything such that their disengagements in their operational design domain are essentially zero, then guess what they're going to do? They're going to say, we don't need to, let's move on to the next city. Let's move on. Hey, why don't you move on to central Jersey? We would love to have you here in Princeton and Trenton. Please uh, bring a few safety drivers, check it out, make sure the thing works and uh, improve the software a little bit uh, for the nuances that we have. And let's start moving people around. Love it. Well, you managed to get that invitation in there again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, I I read those articles and I said, you know, those safety drivers aren't for Phoenix. They're they're for Central Jersey. 
they're for North Jersey, they're they're for they're for uh, um, uh, Peoria, they're for uh, Minneapolis, uh, they're for Dallas, they're for Houston, they're for El Paso, they're for all these other cities in this world. The New Yorks and the San Franciscos and so on, they got their BARTs, they got their New York City subway systems, you know, use them. I think it's very true. If you if if you've been going to San Jose for the last uh, few years, you you you're used to seeing these cars uh, driving around with a safety driver inside, and I think it's such a great choice to use cities like Phoenix. Um, it makes a lot of sense. My my uh, my concern though is I'm not seeing that much on the infrastructure part of um, autonomous vehicle technology. So I'm not seeing a lot of roads being developed specifically for AV. And I guess it also explains why many companies, and of course we have to include Tesla in this one, that still rely on camera and radar and still shunning LiDAR technology. Um, and that's that's the one thing I'm, I'm very eager to see. And I've noticed that in China, they're already talking about making specific roads or, or having trials on specific roads that will include full on or at least level four Uh, AV technology. I'm not seeing much of that happening yet in uh, in the U.S., and I hope I get to see that pretty soon because cities like Phoenix are perfect for that. They they you know they have enough congestions, but they also have enough um, uh, straightaways and 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 desert roads where you can easily do something like that. I'm I'm not sure how you uh, you guys see that. Well, the, the way I see it, that's the beauty in this is that is that we don't need infrastructure to do this. The intelligence is in mm. the vehicle, and if mm. uh, If in some sense, so uh, they just make the road surfaces smooth and put in the lane markings so <laughs> that, that we drive well and we don't uh, get out of the lanes, then they, these systems will do that. So the important thing of this is we don't need infrastructure. And that's the beauty of, of doing it in Phoenix. Uh, the, the roads are, are, are properly marked and, and are, are somewhat a little bit wider and they're already there to, to let humans drive well and go in there and drive it. So the beauty of this technology is that it doesn't need infrastructure because if it needed infrastructure, it would be dead on arrival. I mean, you know, GM was proposing automated uh, uh, vehicles, automated highways in the 50s. I participated in studying <laughs> 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, we needed to have New Jersey DOT go out and build a roadway before we could put a, a vehicle on there. And of course, GM isn't going to build any vehicles if there's no roadways. And New Jersey DOT isn't going to build a roadway without any vehicles. So the concept of infrastructure-based mobility here was dead on arrival. And in some sense, that was the beauty of uh, of the. Uh, grand challenges uh, of, um, of DARPA was that finally, uh, you know, at least those of us that participated in that, we realized that, my goodness, we don't need infrastructure. We're going to put the intelligence in the vehicle. Guess what's propelled cars, uh, you know, since uh, since the turn of the night of the 20th century it's been it's been the intelligence in the vehicle so all these gizmos out there that some people want to put uh in in the roadways is to me on the you know some sort of totalitarian move to have some central <laughs> entity you know tell us what to do and and not let it you know take our freedoms away so don't get me started on that one because <laughs> <laughs> anyway so i think that's, that's really <laughs> and, and it was the beauty of it was 
it was the beauty of what what Google did and 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 so on. You know, they put a they put a couple uh, Steve Jobs in in a, in a garage and said, "Look, we're just going to give you money. All you have to do is get this to work on one vehicle, and and you get it to work on one vehicle, and not ask anybody except for maybe paint on the roadways and a smooth surface, which you know we should ask that of ourselves. You get that to work. Guess what?" We just replicated, and the replication cost of the software is zero. And because the the Moore's law, the aspect of the technology, the sensing technology, uh, once you start scaling, all that goes to zero. So in a sense, you know, you end up doing this at zero cost, and that's what Waymo and, and Google are going for is is that scalability. You know, the fact that you can do it for one who cares, it doesn't do society any good. You get at the scale, you improve a lot of people's quality of life and you really, you know, deliver something to the economy. So I guess that's 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 in some sense the beauty. But for us to wait for New Jersey DOT to go build a roadway in New Jersey for this stuff, I'm not going to live to see it. That's for sure. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and I almost didn't live to see see this far. So um, anyway, uh, maybe I'm, I'm um, whatever. <laughs> no, I think I, I, th- I think you make great points, and that's actually unfortunately it also spells disaster for us in California because our roads are terrible, our our infrastructure is not well maintained, and uh, but thankfully I, I you know I was there actually when Tesla unveiled the very first. Uh, what was it, the P90S at the time, and with the very first, what at the time, what Elon Musk called autonomous uh, autonomous driving. Of course, he had to recant that and say, well, it's 80% there. But it was amazing sitting in that car, and, and you know, we were three journalists and a driver, and to see the guy let go of the steering wheel and say, look, I'm going to change lane, put the blinker on, and the car, using only radar and um, camera, Notice that the speed limit was that. Notice that there were so many cars around it. Notice that it was inside a lane and just maneuver itself to that and then um, just came to a full stop, then put the blinker back on, noticed that there was nothing around and continued on to the windy road and noticed all the signs that it was really amazing. So I think you're right. That's the the key, the, the key potential right here is to not shove a lot of stuff on the road, but to let the cars do it and to also do everything over uh, over the air with OTA updates and things like that. So it's yeah, still, I think that's still the potential. cheaper to fix those roads than to build new ones, I suppose. Right. And, and, in, <laughs> fact, and in fact, we should have good roads for us to drive. Okay. Yes. We yes, pay, absolutely. We pay the gasoline taxes. We pay whatever, you know, make them so that they're good for us to drive. You make them so that they're good for us to drive. These things yes. will be able to drive it. And guess what? Uh, I don't have a LIDAR in the middle of my, my forehead. And so I'm sort <laughs> of, uh, I need LIDAR for what? And then, of course, uh, when the people read uh, this week's uh, uh, Smart Driving Cars, they'll see that uh, that I have some comments about high-definition uh, high maps. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of us drove a lot of miles with Rand McNally folded maps, uh, <laughs> not knowing where we were, and we got there okay, and we, uh, we got there safely. Why do I need high-definition maps? Really? Oh, I yes. guess the Good point. De- definition map people want to sell you that stuff. Great. But, exactly. Uh, really? Uh, but maybe I'll comment on that when Fred brings it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we've talked about uh, planes and, and of a sort. We've talked about cars. 
We've talked about trains. Electric bikes and mopeds are getting some attention in the newsletter with, with a U.S. Customs ruling that e-bikes are motorcycles and are exempt from tariffs. A big deal for that industry uh, since so many of those come from China, Al. I think so. I mean, it'd be nice to have some of those manufactured here, but my goodness, uh, uh, I don't know. What do you think? I think the invasion of e-bikes might be greater than the invasion of scooters, but I'd like to hear your comments on it. You're, 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 you know, you're right, actually. That's I, so I live in Long Beach, and Long Beach is about half a million population. I, um, I don't, don't drive my cars ever. Ever. I mean, it's very rare unless I need to go to the grocery and, and, and do something big like that. I'm on electric bicycles 97% of the time, and I have a few of them over here. I think that's exactly where the, you know, quote unquote revolution, the EV revolution is happening, much more so than scooters. Um, these bicycles have replaced uh, my, my main transportation uh, mode. And um, the great thing about it is I, I can get an, a good workout by riding them when I want to, but I can also get to a meeting without sweating or anything like that. So I think that's good news, and I think we need to see more um, more people on EVs, whether they have two wheels, three wheels, or four wheels, or they fly in the air. And I think that's uh, no, that's very good news to be celebrated. But um, a lot of the people are, are making great headways in that. They're, they're fantastic bicycles you can buy now for about, and it might sound a lot for some people, but $1,500 to all the way up to $7,000. But at least you have a choice in this. And $1,500 for an electric bike isn't a lot because that's a, that's a bicycle that will get you away from your car. So you'll save a lot on the, on the gasoline price. And um, the, the only thing that I would have done differently in that industry is I wouldn't have called them electric bicycles because people equate them to bicycles that you can pick up for $100 to $500, but they're more EV, they're more electric vehicles. So I'm excited to see that. That is really good news. But it also spells, um, it also opens the road, I think, to more uh, legislations around electric bicycles, which should or maybe shouldn't happen. I guess that's another topic as to, you know, are they still bicycles or are they mopeds? Do we need a license? Do we need special lanes for it? And I know that, unfortunately, that's what my city is looking into. And it's always a scary, uh, scary thought. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you uh, um, that the, the electric bicycles may need some, they may be so darn popular that in fact, you know, uh, they take enough uh, local traffic off the roads and in fact uh, uh, some roads can be made available they're not going to go out in the freeway i don't know what the maximum or what the the distribution of trip lengths that you make on these things but i doubt that it's that's more than a couple miles so for the short haul transportation and when you don't have the, the lug stuff and you aren't uh, you aren't being a, you know sort of furniture mover uh, they're a great way to get around, and especially in places with good climate. And as I comment in smart driving cars, when I was an undergraduate in State College, Pennsylvania, which, you know, has pretty harsh winters, what I have, <laughs> yep. I'm a I mean, you know, I barely, I, I don't know how I afforded that. I certainly couldn't afford a car, got around really well. And I think with, with these these. these the, the short haul opportunity uh, for these things for people to just get around, I think is absolutely great. And I think I put a link in, in sport driving cars for uh, to Amazon. I don't know, the, you know, 1100 bucks for what's really a, 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 you know, looks like a very uh, 
very good electric bike. And what's that? What's going to happen to these things? The price is only going to come down, and the quality is going to go up. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be a real invasion. And, and without the tariffs, um, you know, yes, is there anything? I don't think there's anything stopping it. And and when you talk about range anxiety. Hey, you got pedals. <laughs> you got pedals. And plus, it's, you're not going to go to grandma's house 99 miles on. No, exactly. Uh, I think know, it's, it's, it's – some of them are so light. I, I was trying uh, – and I'd like to make a shout-out to Go Cycle. Um, it, they are so light. They're made out of magnesium that one of them ran out of electricity and halfway through. And, and about 10, 15 minutes later, I'm thinking – something weird what's going on here and i noticed whoa i have no more juice in the battery and i'm still pedaling this thing so so it's fantastic and you were talking about um speed i think it's a different it, it differs in every state more or less but ours can't go around above uh, 20 miles per hour and so that's fine you know that's per perfectly fine. fine you do have some that go up by the way to 37 miles per hour and i have to tell you i, I wear a helmet i fell down once and that was enough for me but even with a helmet and my glasses, I was crying. I couldn't see anything, so I couldn't go 35 miles per hour with it. So they're 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 perfect last mile solutions. Okay, they're for for trip lengths that you know certainly under five miles. Yes, not smaller. And my goodness, you don't need to go that fast. So it's like silly. No. Maybe we should have legislation that says, "Hey, limit the speed on these things." You know, where now are you going? I mean, what's it going to take you another twelve seconds? Cut it out. And I think that yeah. you know, in terms of uh, of asset utilization and infrastructure utilization, they're going to be great. But um, you know, uh, it's just the beginning. Of, of that um, that evolution my 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 only worry very quickly with that is that um, riding on bicycles is extremely dangerous right here in california because i, I notice more and more and i don't want to sound like an old guy um, saying that new generation sort of thing but i see a, a brand new generation stepping into huge suvs and pickup trucks that are absolutely unaware of the space they occupy, and they're unaware of how fast we go compared to electric, uh, to compared to regular bicycles. So my worry is with that. I, I easily dodge three cars a day, and I think that's that shouldn't happen. So, so the the legislation I hope comes on that side that we need better driver education until we have autonomous cars. And I can't wait for autonomous cars to come come any faster. I I have old Alfa Romeos in my garage, and I love driving, and I'm a car guy. But these days, it's not fun driving out there. All right. All that texting. Well, the Motley Fool. <laughs> The Motley Fool makes the half-baked section of the newsletter with a report titled, Will Qualcomm Overtake NVIDIA in Driverless Cars? Alan? Well, I put it half-baked because, you know, they talk about driverless. You know, that has nothing to do with driverless. It's, it's all about self-driving and the existing market for, for advanced driver assistance systems. And so, you know, that's, that's a piece of it. And secondly, you know, whether or not... Uh, um, you know, uh, Nvidia or or um, or Qualcomm wins out or or so on. I think that a lot of that is is driven by by clickbait and and I just didn't find any substance in it. And there was a Barron's article too, and I didn't find any substance. And I needed something to put in the half baked section, so I threw <laughs> that in there <laughs> just well, to make friends and and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and influence people, right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the part of the problem right now is that there are so many re stories out there and there are so many stories 
that have that are fundamentally just wrong and fundamentally just you know trying to get you to again it's clickbait and um, and um, anyway but um, um, whatever I, th- I think it's it, I'm, I'm glad to hear you you have that frank talk because it's exactly what's happening I think these companies and I've seen a lot of companies specifically at CES from other industries getting into the mobility industry and um, that's the, the fight between Qualcomm and Nvidia has been very interesting because if you think about it a lot of these new startups use both but they use both in very different ways. So NVIDIA seems to be more on the entertainment side of things, whereas Qualcomm seems to be more on the automotive side of things. And I think they probably already have their own niche, but they are trying to, to specifically those two companies are trying to see who else can we attract and how else can we attract. So there's a lot of uh, business sense here, more than, than technology sense. Yeah, and, and in a sense, uh... Uh, to, to really do advanced driver assistance, you really need compute power and you need more. The compute power is really important. The communications is important, but, but isn't as important. And uh, and at some point, uh, maybe the, the two will merge. Who knows? But anyway, I just, I don't know. It would, it, if, they were, if they would have then had some substance in there trying to de- describe uh, the fundamental differences and approaches and so on, I, I wouldn't have put it in half-baked, but it was just... You know, it was that was, and anyway, <laughs> Fred, we got to have fun here. You know, we do. <laughs> and on that note, Alan, that that'll wrap up this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. We want to thank Nicholas Zart for taking the time to join us. Great insights, Nicholas. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me over. It's, it's always great to talk to, uh, to people who know what they're talking about. And I've certainly enjoyed this, uh, this first session. And I look forward to more if there is a way. Maybe we don't know what we're talking about. We just <laughs> talk. But yeah, certainly. That's what I spend my waking hours doing. So, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth. And I've been doing it now for, I guess I've been dealing with automation and transportation since, at least surface transportation since 1971. So... Um, I've, um, I've, um, uh, you've been there, done that. <laughs> I guess a lot of things have happened. <laughs> a lot of things have happened. And a lot of things haven't happened. So anyway, Unfortunately. Nice. and, and anyway, great having you, Nick, uh, Fred, uh, thank you for hosting the thing. And, um, and, um, we keep moving, um, trying to make good things happen. Nicholas, where's the best place for for our listeners to follow your work? Well, mostly uh, cleantechnica.com, and that's cleantechnica.com. Um, also, um, Aviation International News and the Vertical Flight Society. Uh, I, I produce most of my content there and uh, always in lo- enjoy uh, reading comments. And, and sometimes, boy, comments are interesting to read. <laughs> but, but, yeah, those are the main places. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm just, you know, we're just trying to get people to think. You know, and this yes. is this is oh, this that's is exactly it. Business. And uh, you know, and we uh, and we like to do it as w- as well as we possibly can. And so, um, you know, uh, it is. I, I, I think you said it well. I mean, my my, I'm I'm out there to talk about what's going on, and I'm out there. So I'd love for people to be able to go to a party and go. Well, you know, 
I think this, I think that, because I've been reading this, I've been hearing this, and to let them continue that discussion afterwards, not to just listen to what we have to say, but to just make up their own minds on their own. So that's that's Absolutely. that's my uh, my goal. Absolutely, it's it's a great goal. Great stuff. Now you can find us at uh, smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. You can ask your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. Alan, keep on getting better. Um, God, the rest <laughs> of me is getting better. I don't know about my poor throat and vocal cords. Well, we got to work on them. More tea. Sorry, on. folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening.